0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and as you're doing that, I I want to say one more thing about our brother from Nigeria. He brought that chair and put it up here on this platform. Now, I have benefited from this chair, and I wondered, how in the world did Imani get that chair up here? Where did it come from? How did it materialize in this holy facility? And how did it get up here one day? Well, that guy back there is the one that toted it up here. So God bless you, brother. And thanks, Imani, for discovering it as you have discovered so many other things around here. <laughs> oh, you know, we've threatened for me just to get an Ottoman and, uh, or some other Turkish person and uh, put it right there and I can just sit there in the chair and prop my legs up and teach from there, a la Speckens. But, um, no, here we stand at this holy, sacred desk. <clears throat> I was really blessed to, um, to be a uh, recipient of the, the instruction of the Lord over the past few weeks regarding um, how God's Spirit is communicating to us and... Um, for the Spirit to be guiding through the Scripture for things, again, that we've not seen before about how God reveals Himself and how He speaks to us and forms His understanding in us, and, and particularly over this past week and what will continue into the week to come, how He reveals His wisdom to us. And I was really blessed to hear Dennis teaching on wisdom today as well, very powerful message. But today, we want to look here in 1 Corinthians 2, and we are going to talk a bit about wisdom, but we're going to talk more more, uh, determinedly about how we appropriate what God says to us and how we stay on track during times when we may not understand what in the world God is doing. I was uh, very blessed. To hear uh, a teaching that uh, was submitted from Pastor Haley from Hinton, West Virginia, uh, on the Voices broadcast. But as I but as I listened, I was really moved by her very candid expressions of what this past year had meant to her as she walked through these very challenging months, and. Um, as I said, she was very candid in expressing um, how how it the the months really tested us in in a lot of ways, and every person had their own their own spectrum of testing that, in so many ways, was the same but different from what each of us have received, and I I can only say. As we look into this scripture, that when Paul wrote, Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, that there is so much more in that than we've recognized. You know, we know that faith is what God tells us at the right hand. That's the biblical definition throughout the Old Testament, unequivocally, unequivocally so. And we know that hope is that spark, that seed of faith that God deposits deep within our spirit when we are there in his presence in the depth of the heart of Elohim. Uh, We're saved by hope. Hope is not faith's ugly cousin. Uh, It is a mighty influence in us. And those two abide at the behest of agape, which is not really a uh, necessarily a philanthropic work or a benevolent work. Agape from the Hebrew is us breathing hard after the purpose of God and being willing to say yes to that. The 50 times that, that root word in the Hebrew is used in the Old Testament, uh, 98% of them are the way the enemy and the flesh and the carnal nature turns that passion towards something else. But when we truly walk in agape, we enlist all that we are to follow after what God wants. And the question comes that when you've done everything you need that you've known to do in seeking God, and you've heard from Him, and you've accepted His burden, and you are continuing to walk by faith, by what He says in that commune at the right hand, and not by sight, and suddenly things seem to go haywire. What do you do? What do you do when your natural mind has said, well, it shouldn't be this way. We should be doing this or we should be doing that, and I just can't believe this is happening, and I can't believe this is happening. It's so disconcerting. What do you do with faith and hope? And certainly, what do you do with agape? It's at that point that so often agape, which is the greatest of the three and the the essential engine of the three, When, when agape... Um, starts to question, God, why did you do this? Or this is painful. How come this happened? You know, why, why, why did you choose to direct us down this route when we felt very clearly that you had this and this and this? And that is really what you said. And it's at that time that sometimes uh, agape grows cold. It's at that time when undoubtedly the the young man named Demas who used to work with the Apostle Paul. Paul said in his writings that Demas has forsaken me. Not that Demas has prayed about it and decided he was going to find another path. No, forsake is a pretty stark word. Demas hath forsaken me. He's turned his agape toward the present world. And what do you do when when you've done everything you've known to do to stand and you stand there for, but yet you under, Lord, what in the world are you doing? And it's at that point that you have to really adapt the patience that is required for any apostolic work. You have to you have to say, though it seems like everything we've known is being slain here, yet we will trust and i i think back to the many things that all of us individually have faced over the past year and i i firmly say that we're i i said this before i'm better off now than i was a year ago at this time and i'm 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 delighted in that but that's not to say that last year was a booger you know I, I don't want to begin to go down the pathway of all the stuff that I dealt with in my thinking and physically and um, all the ways that we had to, to uh, turn and, and uh, modify and improvise um, during a time that this world really was turned upside down. But yet God is in it all. And nobody foresaw it. I know that there's always some person say, well, yeah, there was a prophet over here who said this many. Well, none of the big hitters were saying anything about it. It just kind of caught everybody uh, flat-footed. And, um, but yet God is in it all, and I see what God has done. Now, if you, to some degree, and like I said, I, I rejoice at what God has worked through the midst, though there was evil intent, God has worked for the good. And right now, you look and you see things in our country, and you say, what in the world? It's like inmate, the inmates are running the asylum, and you think, what is happening here? And it's just true. I mean, every day there seems to be something that smacks in the face of righteousness, and you think, what in the world, God, have you lost control? And you know very clearly that he has not lost control. You know very clearly that God, who is over all, is working all things for the good. And we have to trust him, and we have to enjoy him. And every miracle in the Bible, and we've said this a million times, took place when it looked like God had lost control. Every miracle in the Bible looked like the people of God who were then the recipients of the miracle were done for. Every one of them. And and if they weren't in that position, then there would have been no need of a miracle. And as again, we've said before, everybody wants to talk about miracles, they just don't want to be in a position where they need one. And, you know, we preach about miracles. Miracles are coming. Well, <laughs> you better watch out when you when you say that because it's likely that you're going to be find yourself in a place where it's you and Goliath in the valley. And that's a wonderful place to be in, but you better prepare yourself for that because if you let your processing and your aspirations and your view of what has to happen take center stage, Well, when that way that seems right to you, but the end thereof is destruction, happens, you might be tempted to give up on the agape and wonder, God, why did you do this to me? That's just faith walk. That's apostolic walk. And you better figure out how to deal with that kind of thing, because man's ways are not God's ways. And so we find here in this second chapter of 1 Corinthians some really interesting points that the Spirit laid on my heart for how we should appropriate uh, our perceptions of the wisdom of God, but more so what we do regarding the eternal plan of God in our life that we live for Him on this earth. So I asked Sylvie to prepare a PowerPoint of this entire chapter, and I thought, well, this whole thing is great, but we're just, for, for now, we're going to look at, um, beginning at verse 5, and we'll read several verses, and then we'll talk about two specific factors that I think we need to lay claim to as we walk in this pathway of faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the dunamis of God, the functionality of God, the confidence that whatever God is doing is working. And that's, that's the key point of dunamis. Dunamis is that dimension of the power of God that's functional. And when, when the woman with the issue of blood felt the dunamis of God move through her, What had gone haywire in her body then began to function properly. And Jesus sensed that go out of him. And over and over again, dunamis is that. And so our faith stands in the understanding that God has everything in control. And even if it looks like things are gone haywire, God is functioning exactly the way he wants to. And we'll continue to do that. Nothing's broken. (laughs) It's working. It may just not seem that way to us. But that is what we have to believe. Verse 6, how be it? That's a good old King Jamesy word. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the, 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 the wisdom of God in a mystery Even the hidden wisdom, the cryptos wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I want to stop right there and talk about this business of ordaining and how it applies to us, because this word... Is also translated as predestined, and when you talk about being predestined, it kind of gets people. If they're if they're in any way uh, beset by the philosophies of man, uh, they get confused. Um, predestination, foreordained. Uh, basically, what this says is for us that God knew us from before the world was formed. Scripture says that, from the foundation of the world. And when he caused us to be born, he caused us to be born at the exact time, with the exact giftings, with the exact uh, measure of ordained service that we're supposed to fulfill. And the key point is that we recognize that we're here to serve him, and if we stay close to him, we will, um, we will fulfill what he wants from us. So God ordained this before the world unto our glory. And ordained is a Greek word, orizo, which is where we get our word horizon from. And in, and in the, uh, the ancient world, this really spoke about boundaries and apportionment, something that's apportioned. So when God caused you to be born in this time frame, there are there are measures of apportionment that you are to be serving Him in. There are boundaries. The problem is that so often we we overflow the banks of common sense. And we need to stay within our boundaries. And too often uh, in the scripture, you see examples of God telling people to do this or that, and then they get to that place and they start innovating, and they think, "Well, God said to do this, but I'm going to do this," or "God said to do this, but how about this too?" Uh, and when when you when you when you're in that this too business, that's when destruction comes, and I think that a number of us over this past year, God really tested us. It's not that he's playing games with us. He tested us, and he said, I want you to see that I'm going to be doing this in these parts of your country. I'm going to be doing this in Europe. I'm going to be doing this in Brazil. I'm going to be doing this in a number of other places, and I want you to to start to contract with the indigenous leaders there, and I want you to put things in motion, which we did. And remember, last year, we had all kinds of stuff scheduled and in place, uh, fascinating things, uh, amazing things. And then God, who knew all of that, said, no. He said, well, maybe you missed God. Maybe you didn't hear from God. Well, that's not what the scriptures say I mean remember just one illustration there are many we could give we've given this before you remember when Paul uh had the 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 night encounter with the man from Macedonia he said come over to Macedonia and teach us how to cry out unto God when did Paul hear that and what was the situation he was in when he heard that well, they had been receiving offerings to go to Asia. They had people praying. They had all their prayer teams. They had all their prayer chains. They had all their texting numbers and everything. You know, they were, they were going to stay in touch. and They were going to be sending Zoom back from the various parts of the, of, the, of the unknown world so that people could stay in ready contact. Paul had that all set up, and then this night visitation comes and says, go the exact opposite direction. And that impacted all of us because it took his ministry journey from going east to going west. And that's really the truth. You can look at it because Syria and Macedonia are different directions. Even today, hasn't there has not been a switcheroo. And so, but God knew all that. So why did God with the Apostle Paul Say, um, okay, you know, get all your intercessors going, start receiving offerings. I want to do this work over here. Did God not want to do that work? Of course, He did. But then this angel appears and says, Come over here. And Paul went. There were other illustrations of that. There was an, another time when Paul and his group earnestly desired to go to a certain place, and it said the Spirit suffered me not to go. Well, how can that be? I mean, isn't it all God's work? So God does things and his reasons we have uh, have hypothesized before. I think to some degree it throws the enemy off guard. But, you know, for the largest point of it is it's to test us because it's his work. It's not our work. And so when we see that God has ordained us before the world to partner with him in glory, to partner with him, and the glory is God sharing something that he wants to do that's not been done, he looks for an ambassador and a partner of that, and you. the glory is manifested on that new work as well as on and through the individuals that have partnered and come into a league with God by divine invitation for that work. So that's really where we are. But it's his boundaries. It's not our boundaries. You know, I I was amazed as we had to, last year, cancel all of these things that we had not only planned, but put in motion. And other things that happened in my life and in so many of the lives of the people in the saints, and you think, God, why are you doing this? And then you roll into, uh, we had a presidential election in November, and, um, you know, I I, I just see a lot of things that really ended up being very different throughout that whole last year than what maybe you, and certainly I, thought was going to happen, or should happen. And if, if you're not, how do you keep, how do you maintain the agape when God, see, that's the thing about faith and hope. See, we help God out, or we try to. Um, I, I, I know that a lot of the things over the years that God said he was going to do, when they finally happened, they were done in a way that I in no way was expecting. It's just a stunner, and and it it was better than what I thought, and just every one of the main major things that God has done has happened that way, and I imagine it's happened that way in your life too, hasn't it? The problem comes that when we obey the Lord and we come into a position where we, think, where we think, okay, I've obeyed the Lord. God's going to do this, and God's going to do this, and God's going to do that. And when those things don't happen, we think, God, you lied to me. What good does it do to trust you when you're not going to do what I know you want to do? Did you hear how I said that? What I know you want to do. And God is just there with us. The tricky thing about faith is that God is more about the journey than he is about the end result. Because the end result is going to happen exactly the way God did. There's there's no switcheroo with that. It's going to be according to his eternal plan. So the end result is never in question. The journey is for us. And God wants to develop relationship with us. God wants to test us. He tries the reins. And on the journey to a miracle, there are a lot of twists and turns that we weren't expecting. And if if we trust the counsel of our coffee drinking buddies and our internet pals, we stoke one another up about what's gonna happen and what shouldn't happen, and can you believe this and can you believe that, and, and when things don't happen the way all of us think it should, then we think, God, what is wrong with you? I've been there, I, you know, and I know you have too. And this is an important lesson for us to learn as saints because so often we, we fulfill different roles in the army of the Lord in the theater of battle. So many times when you are a pioneer of something, you don't see the great victories. You're, you're breaking through into new territory, and you are, you are really in a battle for your very life, or at least it seems that way. And what we're really doing is doing the necessary task of breakthrough. The Normandy beaches speak of that very clearly, as so other so many other places in, in, in the history of warfare. But, um, but then there are times where we come into a place and we see a great harvest immediately, and we, we think South America has been this way. It's, it's different from any other theater of operation we've been in. And we think, wow, this is great. And probably, though, we don't understand that there were those that broke through before we got there. We just rode in on the tank that took the city. And so we have to be very confident in the fact that God knew us before the foundation of the world. He called us to partner with his glory, and he preordained, he predestined us, or here it is that he ordained an orizo. This is your boundary for this time. You come and you stand there and you be faithful there because what you're doing there is like a symphony. You're playing this part. The first violin is playing the solo. The timpani back here is providing some measure of foundational um, beat that is keeping everybody rock solid and in suspense. It's like on a team, you know. You see uh, well, I'll talk about the Cowboys. You see Emmett Smith break a run, and you think, wow, that's great. And nobody saw Mark Stepnoski, the, the all-pro center, who who opened up the line for Emmett to run through. Nobody saw that. Nobody standing on the line saying, yay, Mark, woo, what a job, what a job. But without that, there's no breakthrough. And so we've got to recognize that in this crazy Scenario of walking in this apostolic mission, you read the book of Daniel and you find him talking about, you know, the saints are going to be doing battle and the enemy's going to try to wear you thin. And there's going to come a time where you are gaining the victory. And then they're going to gain preeminence over you. And then you're going to reestablish the kingdom. And you think, well, God, it seems like this is like the wave of the sea, you know? We're standing here, and we're standing, all of a sudden the tide shifts, and we get knocked over. Why is that? Well, it's just the way God does things, but he is always the victor. He is always the winner. And when we are looking at the ordained boundaries or apportioned places, we have a job to do, and really... It's not, this is what I'm going to be and I'm I'm going to always see this happen. Boundaries in warfare change, but duties remain the same. And the most important duty you have is to obey. And when you're obeying, stand. Take cover, take stand. And don't give up. And so I see this right here. And then Verse 8 continues, none of the princes of this world knew this, for had they known and realized that this is what God was really going to do, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. You think about that. How did did the, the demons not know this? How did the princes of this world not know? Well, first of all, they were operating on demonic wisdom. They were operating on those carnal things and and wicked things that we discussed this morning in Sunday School and is written so many times in the Word. But also, the Bible says that as soon as Satan heard that God was going to create a being like you and me, of his spirit and his likeness, Satan wanted to kill that from the very beginning. He was a man killer from the beginning, and he engendered warfare and battle. So it's very likely that one of the reasons they didn't know was that they were thrown as lightning out of heaven before that plan was really being manifested. But that's another thought, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. We're going to end up talking about um, Gabriel in just a moment. Verse 9, as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, this is interesting, how the Spirit of God reveals things to us. But with that, as we've been talking, you have to be sensitive to listen to the breath of the Spirit, and that still small voice. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to his ecclesia. And it's, uh, it's a very interesting process, but God, God leads us in that way. Um, God has prepared these things for us, and that's the other word we want to look at today. Because prepared here is a word that is used regularly and often to describe the ministry of the friends of the bridegroom. And when when we talk about prepare the way of the Lord, that's this same word. And we're going to look at the book of Luke, the first chapter and the words of Gabriel, but there are three times in Luke's writing that he speaks about preparing the way of the Lord. Um, One of them is through the words of Gabriel, which in Luke 1, verses 17 and 18, you may want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, But the others speak about um, that we are really partnering with Yahweh. We're partnering according to God's plan, and we're preparing that and it's through our waiting on the ways of God, the face of God, the ways of God. And so that's a very interesting thing. But Gabriel's take when he was speaking to Zacharias um, is, is very interesting. Luke chapter 1, verse verses 17 and 18. Man. Chapter 1 is very long, 80 verses. (laughs) Okay. Um, Gabriel, who stands at the presence of the Lord at the right hand, he he is the communications expert of the throne. Gabriel means mighty man of Elohim. And Gabriel comes to a very unique, very unique name uh, to talk about the birth of Jesus that will open the way for all of us to serve God. He shall go before him, this is speaking of John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready, there's our word, that's, that's, that's the word um, being prepared, a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Gabriel is talking from an angelic perspective about John and then about Jesus coming. The angel is talking about preparing a people who are to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The other references speak about the plan of God and and how we are to hear about that plan. But here's Gabriel talking about a people getting ready. And it uses he uses this term that we've been talking about, this Phronesis, the, the wisdom of the just, um, that, that hearing from God through the breath of God's spirit within you and how important that is and that Gabriel is the first to enunciate that in the New Testament. But he's saying that there is a preparation of the people who will serve the Lord in this way. And it will be like Elijah. And I think for us, you think about those three demonstrations of preparing the way if you prepare a people, and then you are preparing the pathway of the Lord, and you are preparing the, the pathway of the Lord for the righteous nation to come through, those are three aspects of the uh, the Friends of the Bridegroom, and it's really what we're called to do. We as saints, we're preparing a people. We're making ready a people who will partner with us in preparing the way of the Lord. This is what Gabriel had to do. And you talk about a selfless thing. Satan rebelled against God because he didn't like the fact that you and I were going to be joint heirs. And Gabriel stood and was willing to come and make this declaration for people that would be closer to God than he would ever be. Is't that that's, that's a, an angelic dying to self. But here he, he has the privilege in making this statement to Zecharias and then to Mary and then to speak to Joseph about things. But he's saying, you are making ready a people. That's part of the ministry of Elijah. Making ready a people. And then, of course, you are getting them ready to do what? To prepare the way of the Lord so that the righteous nation can also come. We're preparing the way for the Lord to come, but for the righteous nation to also come to help us prepare the way of the Lord. Those are our missions. And I'm going to end this by, by saying this. We need to know what God has apportioned you and me to do as saints as friends of the bridegroom. What are our boundaries? What is our apportionment? Well, it's very simply this. We're not here to take over Washington, D.C. And we're not here to tell everybody in, in, in the nation how they're supposed to live their life. That's the Holy Spirit's job. What are we here to do as saints? To intercede. To pray, to go hard after God, to walk in faith and in hope, and to prepare a people that God brings to us so that they will labor together in preparing the way for the bridegroom. To prepare people. That's the heart of our message, of our ministry as a communication center, isn't it? It really is. As Les said a few minutes ago, I mean, we we talk about gaining this new equipment. Why? Just so all of us have things to play with? (laughs) Um, We can spend hours and hours in front of a microphone with headphones on? That's exciting, let me tell you. But so that we can prepare a people. That's part of the ministry of Elijah. You're preparing a people. Man, oh man. I, you know, I, I like the part of Elijah being up on the mountain calling the rain down and and breaking droughts and calling droughts and slaying false prophets. I like that part. It's exciting. I like the part of Elijah that spirit catches him away and he's here and then he's there. And, you know, I, I like that part. But that business that he really he started to do, but yet he didn't really get to fulfill it in the next way God wanted him to do, to train the sons of the prophets, which somehow he forgot about those 7,000 when he was saying to God, I'm all alone. <laughs> and his cycle of going from Gilgal to Bethel and all around a circle, maybe he found those after the still small voice. I don't know. But then he was supposed to be ministering with Elisha which he did for a time, but then he was caught away. Preparing the people is part of the ministry of Elijah, and that's our job. More so, I think, than any other facet, even though it all runs together. And you know what? That ministry continues regardless of what's going on with people being afraid of COVID. That's going on regardless of protests across the country and whatever's going on or not going on in DC or at our border. Our job is to prepare a people who prepare a way for the Lord and that's the ministry of Elijah. So these two things Paul says here, he says number one, you are ordained. This is a different word from the tetheme and the empowerment for ordained. This word specifically speaks of boundaries and apportionments. It may not be what your mind wants to do. It may not be what your pride wants to do. You know, that's one of the things that I was reminded of the other day uh, when we had that meeting. I, rem- I was reminded of the fact that many years ago, we laid down all of our weapons of competition as in the religious world. We just laid it down, and we laid, I'm just saying what happened. We laid our reputation down. And, um, you know, how do you compete with this church across the street? How do you do this? How do you do this? How do you get more people? Well, they're doing this. Well, we'll do this and this. That goes on in most churches. They may not put it on their their bulletin board out front, but that's what happens. We had to lay all that down. And gladly so, because frankly, I was getting a little tired of it, Debbie. I just was. And you lay your reputation down, too. Because anybody that quits that game has to be nuts or in sin. Moral turpitude, even. But, you know, the idea of saying we're not going to do this anymore, instead we're going to be on our face and pray is nonsense. That makes no sense. So... What has God ordained us to be? What is our apportionment? What is our calling? And and how is he preparing a way? How is God preparing? See, same word. God has prepared those things. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of any person. The glorious things that God has prepared for those who are moving in his agape. That preparation is a big deal because we are preparing the way of God's purpose. We are preparing as intercessors for what God wants to do in restoration. We're preparing a a roadway for others to come through that we may never know and they may never know us. But we're also preparing a people, the ones that God leads us to. And that is what Elijah's ministry was supposed to be, according to the great spokesman of the right hand of God, uh, Gabriel. I I just think that's fascinating because this is is something that we don't often see or recognize, that Gabriel, in talking about John the Baptist, he said, this guy's ministry is going to make ready a people. To make ready a people. That is our calling. More so than I think as intercessors, of course, intercessors being sons, being saints—that's that's our identity. But for this house and for the network, we're we're supposed to be making ready a people, and then we prepare with them the way of the Lord, the what God's doing. And that way is not up to us. That way is not up to us. You know, I read a a really. Amazing book written by uh, Stephen Ambrose, who who wrote Band of Brothers. Fame. I know many of you have seen that miniseries, but he wrote about the building of the transcontinental railroad, which was fascinating. It was also a couple thousand pages long, but it was fascinating. The things that they did, then that competition from from the Union Pacific and and the Western. Uh, Pacific, how, how they came together and how they decided the route that needed to be done in a land that they didn't really know. And the decisions they made sometimes made no sense at all, made no sense. And they were, they were in competition with each other as to who would who would get through fastest because really they were getting paid a certain amount from the government for every mile they went. So that was also a motivating factor. But those guys that were out there doing that hard work of getting that track laid, they weren't in charge of where it was going. In fact, there were a couple of times where there were major points of uh, discussion, heated discussion, um, because you had coming from the West a lot of Chinese people, and you had coming from the East a lot of Irishmen and those were the two main groups that were laying this track and you could look down through the the plains and they some of them thought this would be the way we should go this is this is going to be a whole lot easier it's uh, for miles it's it's even on a slope downward that would be great let's do that be less work for us man it would be easy well, the, the, the surveyor said, no, you're not going that way. You're going to have to blast through this mountain here. And, and, and they said, why? And there was, there was a, almost a riot at one point. And because if you went that easy road, several miles down there, you were going to be boxed into a canyon that there was no way out. And they didn't know that. It would have been easy work for a few weeks, but it would have led to destruction. And sometimes we are, with all of our grandeur and wisdom and our bulging muscles from having laid the track for the last 500 miles, we think that we know which way the great surveyor would say, you take this track in preparing the way of the Lord. And it has to be this way, because all of us Irishmen, we think that it should go that way. It would be a whole lot easier. Man, we're ready for this. But the end that the great surveyor knows is a canyon where there's no way out and a canyon that also floods a couple times a year, which is, which is not a very good thing if you're building a railroad. And I wonder if our best laid plans that God was testing, are you gonna be willing to do the hard work now when you don't know really why I have chosen you to go this way instead of that easy way that your eyes could see i i wonder i wonder what the main thing over this past year was and i think it was i'm sure it was trust me keep praying don't give up don't don't let your own sense of being misled stop you from seeking me what i'm going to do is much better than what you thought i was going to do what i'm going to do is going to make so much more sense a year from now and you're undoubtedly going to testify thank god i didn't go the way that i thought was best for me and so in this passage, in, in um, 1 Corinthians, you have that, those two things that's mingled in with Paul's discussions about wisdom and the enemy. The enemy doesn't understand that plan, but it's God's plan. We are, we are ordained. We have a mission. We've been uniquely created to fulfill a task, and we're preparing we're preparing. And part of what that preparing is, as we prepare the way for the second coming of the Lord, um, is to prepare a people and to do what we need to do as intercessors to continue to intercede about God's plan and partnering with him as intercessors. Why he chose the need for that, I don't know, other than the fact that he's trying to develop us as sons. And we're then making all of this ready so that others, others, the righteous nation can enter. And if we keep that in mind, we'll really learn a major lesson in how to be sons and how to move in patience in this apostolic work. Because I'm going to tell you something. What's coming in the darkness upon the earth, gross darkness the people, if we have to be convinced that this is the way it should be, you know, we're this is God, I can just give you some counsel. It's gonna be this way. And when it goes haywire, that plane goes haywire, we're always gonna be go falling off the wagon. And we're always gonna be thinking, God, I just don't understand. Wow, 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 wow. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't get it. And God doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Any parent, used to have kids in the back seat that are cranky. When are we going to be there? I don't know. Can I get ice cream? (sighs) Just be thankful you're riding a car with air conditioning and we're going to be there soon. So ordained and preparing. Amen. We're we're poised in a position, being prepared for tremendous breakthrough, that's far more than what we um, than what we anticipated uh, in in our thinking, and even the things that God said, you do this and this and this, and then He said, no, I'm going to change that. It's not that God changed his mind, he was wanting to change us. And that's the big thing. When when you think that God has changed his mind, it's most likely that he's wanting to change you. Are we willing to let that happen? And I pray that uh, whatever it is that God was wanting to, to work in us, over these past months that in our own selves we will have allowed him to do that because that is going to make us ready for what is really coming amen so i speak blessing all over over all of you and i i'm very thankful to the lord for uh the marvelous things that he's sharing from his word but i Pray that we'll just all learn how to die daily, as the Apostle Paul did, and um, we'll continue to see the miracle power of our God. Amen? So blessings to all of you, health and life and strength to all of you, and uh, may the goodness of the Lord continue to shine upon you. And um, I say all that in Jesus' name. Be encouraged. God bless you all. Amen. Thanks for being here.